we'll talk some TV before we get into. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take the Justice League score and talk about Marvel shows. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's about it. Says because I haven't seen the movie and I'm not gonna go see the movie because I just have no desire. That c- coupled with my general apathy, I just don't want to sit in a theater for you know. Did you like it? Oh, I mean, you you said it was okay, right? I didn't see it. Yet. Haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Back to the bin. Let's rock. Hello, everybody. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro. That's Dr. Bill Robinson, and this is the Justice League score. <coughs> How they don't have you on voiceovers is beyond me. I'm, you know, that I would love to be a voiceover guy. In a world. In a world. With Dr. Although this morning, I, my voice is not there, so. Yeah, well, you I had it when you were sick too. at the time. Hmm? When you were sick, you had it down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the world. Yeah. So, this is a delayed score episode. It's taken us a little while to get to it. But, uh, as of right now, neither of us have seen the movie. <laughs> you uh, don't intend to, is that correct? I just don't have time, and... And I can wait for Redbox. I waited for Wonder Woman for Redbox. I mean, at this point, I'm probably... I don't even think I'm going to see... I'm Probably the next movie I'm going to actually go pay to see in a theater will be Star Wars. And then maybe after that, maybe Infinity War. Uh, I'm just not, you know... It's. i got to take both my kids. Although... One of them is away right now, so I don't have really... But I have three kids, in case anybody's going, wait a minute, Dr. Bill said both? What, 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 what? Mm-hmm. One's well, off of college. She doesn't Bill forgot count. a kid. Yeah, imagine that. So, I don't know. I just... I, I don't have the enthusiasm, but that may be me coupled with other things that's going on in my life. So, but, you know, I'm not meaning to slam the Justice League movie. I just don't have a, you know, yeah, I gotta go see it. Well, I mean, it's... Doesn't mean I don't like the Justice League. I just don't have a drive to go see the movie. On the negative end, on the negative end, uh, I've not, I have not liked, or at least I did not like in Batman v Superman the way Superman was portrayed. And uh, I haven't seen it yet, but it's really going to be no spoiler to know he's going to be in this one. Uh, I I'm not really thrilled with the Peter David Aquaman. I would rather they went for the more traditional. It's just a personal preference, not you know necessarily big criticism, but it does enter into what you uh, enjoy. Uh, it looks to me like the Flash is being portrayed as the Bart Allen Flash, you know, when Impulse became Flash, as opposed to Barry Allen, which I guess is okay, because we already have Barry Allen on TV, but since we have Barry Allen on TV, I kind of have a problem with switching him over for the movie. And then uh, I've never been a fan of, of Cyborg being in the Justice League. Just To me, he's a teen titan. He shouldn't be in the Justice League. So right off the bat, I'm I'm having some negative thoughts going in. 
on the positive side, I did like Ben Affleck's portrayal of Batman. Uh, I do like Gail Gadot as Wonder Woman. And, you know, that, that was, those are positives going into it. So, I'm a little surprised, you know, I, the Rotten Tomatoes has got it at 41%, which is pretty bad. 41%, and here's the interesting thing, the tomato meter is at 41%, the audience score is at 83%, and that kind of goes with what I'm seeing, because the reviews of it I saw are terrible, but looking at our friends on Facebook, most of them liked it. There's, you know, there's been some dissenters, it's not universally loved, but most of them have said positive things about it. Now, I do, I am a frequent commenter or commentator on the fact that the internet tends to hyperbolize things. So people who liked it are probably speaking up a little too much that they liked it now, the same way people who didn't like it were speaking too negatively about it. My guess is that it's somewhere in between, uh, that it is brighter than the previous Snyder efforts, this is my understanding of it, uh, that there's you know some more comedy in it, that everybody has their moments, and that it's a generally enjoyable movie. So based upon having heard that from some people whose opinions I trust, uh, I'm interested in seeing it. I'm not going to go crazy to get out there and see it. So far, I haven't been able to. My son has already seen it. You know, I, I expect I'm going to at some point, but I don't know when. Uh, what, uh, uh, what did you, uh, What did Matt think of it? Uh, he actually went on Thanksgiving night. You know, after everything was done, he went like to an eleven o'clock showing, mm-hmm. and uh, he came home and he said, "Eh, he wasn't that crazy about it." <laughs> See, I think maybe... he went. I'm sorry, I just want to finish the thought. Originally, oh. he went and said he doesn't care; he'll see it a second time to see it with me. And when he got back, he was like, "Yeah, I really don't feel like seeing it a second time." <laughs> hmm. Well, I mean, maybe if I had, uh, of course, I was just if if I had someone else who was jazzed about it to go with me, or just even s- someone who has more of a passing knowledge of the Justice League to go and you know, hey, did you see that? That's so and so. Because I go to some, I take my kids to these movies, and Ben's not as into comics as I am. I mean, he has enough working knowledge of the Marvel universe from games more so than comics and from maybe, you know, the other movies. But he doesn't get all the Easter eggs. So it's, you know, it, there's, there's, I can bounce off of him a little bit, but it would it would be like if you and I went or, you know, that we could sit there, oh, hey, yeah, just, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So if one of us hops a flight, we could see it together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should we should, uh, we should do it virtually. See it together. We'll both go to the movie at the same time, and we'll get on the phone and talk throughout. Oh yeah, that'll go over real, real well. Especially yeah, that down here where um, the one guy uh, shot the other guy in the theater. Oh really? They... I hadn't heard about that. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that's been a big thing. Uh, I think um, I can't remember if that has actually gone to trial. Yeah, that was no. It was about. Uh, Ooh, 30 miles from me over in, uh, you know, it was like an older retired policeman. He, it's a whole, he said, she said about what happened. There was, you know, he felt threatened. He had a gun. He shot the, uh, he shot and killed the guy. So. It just always yeah. reminds me, you know, we were talking earlier and, you know, this time of year gets us a little melancholy about our, our friends, our friend who we lost. Yeah. And, uh. 
I just, I always think about the diatribe he went into. I think it was during the Godzilla movie review. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I like to, and, and if anybody doesn't know, I'm talking about our, our friend Sean Engel, who we lost two years ago. Uh, I like when I think about people I've lost in my life. I like when I can think about things about them, and instead of getting all sad, I can, I, I can smile. You know, think about things that, that I cared about and, and that were important or that were fun, and that was fun. Listening to him kind of go off on, on was it like an old woman in the movie theater who just kept talking? Thank you. You you were able to make me re- remember the connection to t- uh, Taiki Watiti, and I will bring that up when we get into the book, to to this book. How okay. I can link the Thor director to this book. Okay. To this is not a Ragnarok score episode. That was yes. done behind us. So, doesn't matter. Okay. Doesn't so matter. Just, uh, I would imagine most people who are in our group have their initial familiarity with the Justice League through the Super Friends. Dun, da, da, ba, 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 da. I would think that's where most people know of them. Uh, I, being old as dirt, actually do have some passing memory of them before that. Yeah, I think uh, my main memory comes from the Super Friends, however, and I was trying to find this last night. I haven't been able to find this, but it's going to take a while. The first, there is a Justice League book, the first Justice League book that I remember reading um, just like there's a House of Mystery book that is the first comic book that I remember reading that I'll probably I just take me forever to go through each one to find this particular story. Um, but the first JL book that I remember it has something to do, do with the Red Tornado. And I remember some... Uh, I want to say there's somebody that's in a wheelchair. I don't know. I remember if Red Tornado's in a wheelchair or if it involves a Doom Patrol. I mean, we're talking. I would be probably seven or, or younger. So it has to be a book that's in the 70s, most likely. Well, the 60s and 70s, since I was born in 69. So, and it has something to do with like an eight. Alien creatures, or I want to say it could be a Starro, but it, uh, that's the only things that I can remember. I can visualize it, but I can't remember what the storyline was. It was Red Tornado, some type of aliens, like like little pieces of aliens. That's what makes me think maybe it's Starro, you know, the little starfish. But I just mm-hmm. don't remember the starfish being prominent. So I, so I would have to sit there and go through every single issue of the Justice League. So, which would take a long time, um, and I don't have that time. <laughs> so, too, you, you just don't choose to spend it that way. Yes, yes. So it's just like, yeah, just like I'll eventually, yeah, I'll eventually get around to doing that. Right. Yeah, I couldn't tell you specifically what book was my introduction to the Justice League. I just know that I knew of them before Super Friends. Super Friends started in '73, and mm-hmm. I know I was already, I was already familiar with them before that. Right. Uh, I don't know if there was a uh, Filmways, I guess, cartoon. They did some Teen Titans, Justice League. I think they did Green Lantern or 
They did like a, a bunch of different ones. You know, like eight minute did, shorts. Yeah, didn't they do an Aquaman one too? I, yeah, they did do Aquaman. I don't know yeah. if they did Green Lantern. I said that, but I don't think they did. I think they did Flash, Aquaman, Teen Titans, Justice League. I can't even remember for sure. But I think, I, I would imagine I did see that at some point. So I would have been familiar with them from that. And I'm sure I saw, you know, some comics over the years. Now, in, in my family, not only am I the youngest child in my immediate family, but in a large family of cousins, I'm the second youngest. So there were a lot of older cousins as I was growing up. So I, I had a lot of exposure to comics when I would be at, you know, the houses of cousins and there would just be some comics laying around and I would just pick them up and start reading them. That was that was really you know some of my initial between my brothers and and my cousins, but I couldn't tell you what issues I had picked up. Up until I actually got that comic, reading, collecting, buying bug, which I always point back to was Amazing Spider-Man one thirty one. That's mm-hmm. the first one that I have a conscious memory of. You know something clicked and all of a sudden it was like I'm going to start collecting these. I need to collect mounds of paper. That'll become a fire hazard when I'm older. Oh, sorry. And something for my kids to look at and say, oh my God, if he dies, we're screwed. <laughs> Gonna have a big old fire one night. Before we get to our Justice League books, uh, I have been trying desperately, and I'm, I'm like, a, like sinking in quicksand with all the back episodes that I have to watch. <laughs> so the last couple of days I've watched, uh, I think it's the first... Five episodes of the Inhumans, mm-hmm. and I gotta say, I think the criticism in it, of it is so ridiculously overblown that it's just totally unreasonable. Well, it's, one of, it's one of these internet things where you know everybody's the mob mentality thing. I don't think it's great. No, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's been a great show, but I think it's been enjoyable. I, I you know, I really don't have any problem with it, and I, I'm. Watching this already sad, knowing that, you know, with the reaction, that it's not going to be back next year. Yeah, and they kind of left it. Uh, never mind. Well, I, didn't get, I didn't get to the clip. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, ah, shut, stop, stop, stop your thought. Shut up. Shut up, shutting up. But that's, you know, that, that's my thought. You know, I must feel not, not quite as sad as when I was watching Firefly, knowing that there was only that limited number of episodes, but, but a little of that. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's. It, I just don't see all the hate. You know, oh my God, this is you know, blah, 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 blah. it's oh, okay. Is it a cheaply produced show? Mm, in some aspects, I would say yeah, because I think they 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 blew their wad on the first you know two episodes that were going to be shown in IMAX. So a lot of the money went there. I think Lockjaw was done fine for TV. Yeah. Um, I get why they shaved Medusa's head so they wouldn't have to constantly spend all the money to produce those special effects of trying to animate her hair. Because then if they didn't constantly animate her hair through the rest of the show, everybody would, would, would have been bitching. Well, how come Medusa's hair's not moving? So I get it, okay? You know, it's something you work around. I mean, it's it looks like a show produced by ABC in Hawaii. It looks like I'm watching, you know, a weird mirror version of Lost. Or, you know, well, which is kind of funny because one of the actors from Lost is in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, was just thinking that. Uh, I liked how they kind of depowered Karnak. I liked the way they showed how his powers were working, that, you know, he would, like, run through every 
situation, and then when when he figured out that that wasn't really working, and, you know, because he got hit hit on the head. I don't really I, I understand why Lockjaw kind of dumped them all over the island, or you know the islands, or or you know why uh, um, you know he he's a dog. But now, was Lockjaw a human that turned into a dog, or was he always a dog? I don't really well, remember the, the 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 origin of Lockjaw. He, he was always a dog. And then they had an episode, an episode, an issue of Marvel Two and One, where he actually speaks to the thing, and the you know it's supposed to blow you away to find out that he's really just a regular inhuman, and that's the way his powers manifested. Mm. But I'm pretty sure they retconned that away and said, no, 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 he's a dog. Hmm. So what they. Expose their pets to deterrent. No, that I, that in in that reveal, he would have actually been a person, right? Who transformed into a dog-like being, so he really wasn't a dog. Right, right, right. But you're saying then they retcon that away, saying that no, he's really just a dog with oh, the power I, yeah, of teleport. I assume he was somehow exposed to Terrigen. I don't know if they ever did an actual origin on him. Mm. Now, after kind of defending the the Inhumans, I'm going to slam it a little and I don't like their choice for Maximus. I don't think the guy... I, he's great on Game of Thrones, but if you're going to bring him from Game of Thrones, I don't know, maybe shave him? Get, get, rid, of, get rid of his exact same look? It's a little too close to the way he was playing Ramses on uh, Yeah. On Game of I Thrones. mean, it's like he had... it. I don't want to slam the actor, but it's almost like is that his only is is he is that his only like like a one note you know like a one trick pony is is that all we're gonna get out of him? Like, I like, I, like I've never seen him in any anything else, so I can't judge that this was a very not as ruthless. Well, I mean, well, well, no, 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 he's ruthless. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say no. Let me back that up. Yeah, he's ruthless. Whereas Maximus is kind of more crazy. That's that's what I was going to say. I've enjoyed Maximus in the comics more when he's portrayed as as Maximus the Mad. Uh, yeah. And, and not <laughs> not just a cackling madman. Like I don't want him to be the Joker. Right. Uh, I mean where where people underestimate him because they just think he's a little crazy and he's simple or whatever. And meanwhile, he's, you know, manipulating everybody without them even realizing it. Kind of a little bit of the Joker combined with uh, Loki. When I when I you will kind of see that I'm not going to spoil it. He does. You do see some more of his machinations towards the end of the of the series that you're like. Oh. I'm seeing the machinations. I'm just not seeing a little. I'm not seeing the craziness. And like, like I said, I don't want over the top craziness. I just want like where people just dismiss him because they think he's crazy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, I, and I'm I, not seeing that at all. I don't get the hate that everybody's just down down on it, which is kind of funny considering we were just kind of down on Justice League, but. Well, I think there isn't an internet mob mentality. Uh, you know, I, I try to avoid being part of it. But there is a mob mentality where, you know, everybody's got to follow the trend. And the trend is Marvel TV shows are bad, DC movies are bad, Marvel movies are great. And then, and then you get the people who rubber band it the other way where, you know, when they finally come out with a DC movie that's good, they have to rave about it like it's the best thing ever. Mm. You know, I, I, I'll use Wonder Woman as the example of that. I thought Wonder Woman was a good movie. I really enjoyed it. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was, you know, up there on the high pantheon of, of comic book movies. 
It's just they finally had a DC movie and a female superhero movie that was good and enjoyable and worth seeing. So they have to treat it as if it's the best ever. You know, they overreact. I, I, I've said this so many times, but I think that's what happens. And then I, I think as TV programmers, you have to follow that because it becomes fashionable to dislike things. And if it's fashionable to dislike your show, you might as well not produce it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely a mob mentality, though. And it's, I don't think it works to get us a better product. I think it, it, it overcompensates. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, there's, there's a reason why they don't just hand out questionnaires to the public and say, uh, tell us what we should do with all the TV shows that are on. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ben actually this summer went, went through and he uh, watched all of uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because that was on Netflix. And he liked it. He got into it. You know, we, 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 we would have a few discussions here and there. Did you ever watch the rest of that? I did. I find Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to be just kind of, uh, it's tough to say, like, it's a little underwhelming to me. Like, I watch it, and it's okay, but it very rarely grabs me and it thrills me. And whenever it does, or when it has, they wrap up that storyline and then it stops enthralling me again. They don't. They haven't been able to keep a consistent high level on that show for me. Hmm. Well, what did you think of the last season? You had the three main arcs of the last yeah, season. Yeah, it was, it was all right. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't crazy about the Ghost Rider one. Uh, I would have liked it if the uh, Patriot one was a little bit closer to the comic books. Hmm. And I'm trying to remember the third arc was. Well, the second arc was just a life... Well, yeah, I guess it was the... Yeah, the, the life model decoy was what they called it. But yeah, that was fo- that was fo- focused a lot on the Patriot. Um, or the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was mm-hmm. played, you know, with uh, Jeffrey Mace. And then the last one was the Agents of Hydra, where they were in the... Uh, uh, spoilers, for anybody who hasn't seen it. Where they went into the computer world. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mainframe. Yeah, that was all right. That was that was interesting. What did you think of the actress that played Ada? I don't remember her leaving a real serious impression on me. Really? You don't think? I mean, she played three distinct roles, and I think she brought something to each one. She had, she was a life model decoy. She was the human shoot that the life model decoy was based off of, and then she was Madame Hydra in the in the uh, inside the mainframe. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought she distinguished, made each one separate from the other. You didn't think so, huh? I mean, yeah, I no, thought she was I, a good actress. You know, you you could tell, but uh, I didn't walk away thinking, oh, they got to put her in more stuff. I don't know. Well, I mean, when when you compare her acting ability, maybe with what she was given towards what they gave, I can I can't remember the actor's name who played Maximus, or what they gave him. It was more of a stretch for her to actually show an acting ability. Okay, that's fair. You know, plus she's hot. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. Shaky. Especially as Madame Hydra with those dark green highlights in her black hair. <laughs> sorry. All right. So, any other uh, what, are, what are the TV news? I'm, I'm uh, catching up on Discovery. Uh, I have. Uh, I still have. I'm way behind on Arrow, Flash. Agent, uh, what's about the Legends of Tomorrow? Super you know, Arrow, 
Arrow, you can get behind on Arrow. Just catch the pre- previously stuff in the beginning. It's not Black that. Black Canary's father got died this week. What? Black Canary's <laughs> father died. I missed that. David Cassidy. Huh? The actress who oh, plays Black Canary oh, is oh, Katie oh. Cassidy. David oh. Cassidy's daughter. Oh, I didn't know that that was her father. Yep. Oh. I thought you were saying that they killed uh, the the guy on the show. Yeah, no, no, no. No, in real life, her father. Oh, I didn't. Oh, when I was a sad. kid, I, I, I loved the Partridge family. I thought show, the show was great. I thought David Cassidy was like the coolest guy ever. I wanted to be just like him. I watched that, yeah. But I wasn't at the age that you were where you would be, you know, where you were, you know. I thought I was, like, being like, like him was my ticket to cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. But that's what I thought. I think I love you. Oh, I know all the music. I know all the music. Didn't, wasn't I singing one of the songs in your kitchen to summer when I was there? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were. Came on the radio. I started singing along. Or nothing but an a- apron, and it was quite scary. Uh, no. That is not correct. Eyes. Don't look, Ben. Don't look, Ethel. Too late. And that is a reference to Ray Stevens' The Streak, if anybody's interested. Ah, all right. To wrap up t- TV, uh, I also watched. I have not watched The Punisher. I, not yet. Not yet. I'm, just, I'm a third you know, of the so way through Stranger Things. I have not watched Stranger Things. So those of you that think, oh, you're just ragging out of Justice League, I, you know, I loved Stranger Things when it came out. I just haven't had time. I just, you know, and I don't even have to leave my house. But I've been. I just can't. I need to get it. I've been trying to get everybody else to watch. My daughter has agreed that she's like, well, once I finish watching this show, I'm going to go back and watch Stranger Things. So I'm like, well, hurry up, because so I'll watch Stranger Things 2 with you. So I'm waiting on her. Um, Punisher, I, I just, I, time. I, again, yeah. time. Um, however, exactly. that being said, I have been watching on and off. You're going to say like, oh. You don't have time to watch new shows, but you have time to watch a show from the early 2000s. I got on a rewatch kick of watching Alias, the J.J. Abrams show, mm-hmm. because I really liked it. So I'm not going to go into a sidetrack with Alias, but because I was on Hulu, it popped up and it said Marvel's Runaways. And I'm like, oh, well, you know what? Let me just give this a chance or just see what this is about. Because I never read the comic. I only had a passing familiarity with the characters i knew the premise and i had a familiarity with them from a uh game i played through facebook where they had introduced the characters so i kind of had an idea what their power set was so i've watched the first two episodes uh there's only three up right now i've enjoyed it it's pretty cool um I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but I mean, so I don't really know from what you told me, Paul, is that you said it is rather close to the, uh, to the comic line story, which is what I've read. I haven't seen it yet. From what I uh, understand, it seems to be the kids, uh, one of the kids, two of the kids they have shown do have powers, not real defined, you know, cause they're teenagers and, the first two episodes were interesting because the first one was told from the point of view of the kids and then the second episode they rewind and it's told from the point of view of the parents so you see the same scenes but after the scenes where they 
overlap with the kids and the parents, you then see what the parents did afterward until they get back to the end of the uh, show. Because at the end of the first show, there's a the kids see something that happens that makes them suspect that there's something not quite right with their parents. And the parents have got, yeah, so. It sounds like the comic. I did read the comic a few years back. But in the comic, they were straight up supervillains, right? Um, I mean, they weren't known supervillains or whatever. They were like. Oh, see, I thought they were known uh, villains. Okay. No, I I don't remember that. Mm. I don't believe that's the case. James Marsters plays. uh, Is it James Marsters? The guy that played Spike on Buffy. He plays one of the the parents. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's the. You know, I, uh, that was in Smallville. Yeah, see, I I haven't watched Smallville past like I think season four or five. I just like I was watching it when it was on TV, and I got whatever wrapped up with work or whatever, and, and I fell out of the habit of watching it. And I need to go. I'd like to go back and finish. I again time. Yeah, he, I, I watched that. I think I missed the first two seasons, and I caught up with them on DVD, and then I joined in, and then I watched it pretty much through the, I think I gave up on it either the last season or the second to last season, because it just kind of overstayed its welcome, but mm. for quite a while I enjoyed that show. Uh, right, well, and I guess the last show that I'll mention is The Flash, I've been keeping up on The Flash this year, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's been pretty good, but I don't know if I'm, if I necessarily agree with the, per- see, you haven't seen any yet with yet. with Ralph Dibney. Not yet. They kind of make him like Jim Carrey light. And I don't see Ralph Dibney that way. But See, I, I always picture, and it's from uh, Kingdom Come, that uh, Alex Ross used Dick Van Dyke as his role model for mm. it, as his, you know, to reference. Oh. So I kind of picture Dick Van Dyke in the part now. Oh, I guess, well, okay. Well, well obviously see, you can't cast him in it now. Van Dyke right. is like 92 or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but he's still a spry old booger. You know, although he's not tripping over Ottomans anymore. Probably bust a hip. So. Him and Stan Lee can go hang out. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's my only... of uh, which Because we're going to see Ralph in one of the books today, so that's that's what popped that in my head. And so. we'll, we'll touch on that too, because Ralph's portrayal in the book that I have is not... I'm not happy with. Well, in mine, well, he's kind of portrayed as a goof, but that was story-driven. See, because, and, and we'll talk about it just for a second before we even do the books, is my understanding of Ralph is, although he is a little bit of a light-hearted uh, character in the way they present him, his detective skills are supposed to be second only to the Batman. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's my problem right there, and we'll get into that. But I guess that's as good a segue as any to hit on our books. And the first book on our list today, I brought in Justice League of America number 168. It has a cover date of July 1979, and as per Mike's Amazing World, an on-sale date of April 12th, 1979. Covers by Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano. The story is titled The Great Switcheroo, written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Dick Dillon, inked by Frank McLaughlin, colored by Jerry Serby, Lettered by Ben Oda and edited by Ross Andrew. 
The JLA roll call for this issue is Superman, Batman, Black Canary, Elongated Man, Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Red Tornado, Wonder Woman, and Zatanna. So we got a full complement of Justice Leaders. The Secret Society of Supervillains roll call is The Wizard, Star Sapphire, The Floronic Man, Blockbuster, and Professor Zoom. Previously, in Justice League of America 167, the Secret Society of Supervillains defeated key members of the League and pulled the Great Switcheroo, swapping bodies with them. And so, the Wizard and Superman were swapped, as was Professor Zoom and Green Lantern, Star Sapphire and Zatanna, Blockbuster and Batman, and the Floronic Man and Wonder Woman. <laughs> At the end of the story, the Leaguers in Society Bodies were captured, with the exception of Zatanna in Star Sapphire's body, who escaped. That brings us up to date on issue 168. As the story opens, the faux Green Lantern has the Society members encased in an energy field diamond cell with manacles and gags. Green Arrow is already suspicious about the way his teammates are acting. However, Green, Green Arrow is kind of a dope because I'm pretty sure that he's aware that Superman has super hearing. Duh. As expected, Superman has been eavesdropping on the whispered conversation that he has and tells Wonder Woman about it. Also, as expected, Superman hurls the power ring constructed prison towards the sun. The Justice League of America expressed some dismay about this method of eliminating their foes, but Superman calms them down with an explanation just as convincing as the one Grinch gave to Cindy Lou Who, who you will recall was no more than two. In response to this, the elongated man, who has a reputation for being only second to Batman with regard to his detective skills, says, I admit it sounds reasonable, while Green Arrow is more convinced than ever that Superman is not Superman. As the League departs, none of them notice the unconscious body of the Star Sapphire on a nearby rooftop. In an interlude, Mr. Sloan, a civil rights lawyer, releases Ultra, the ultimate warrior, from the Tesseract, uh, Cosmic Cube, uh, Status Cube. <laughs> Aboard the JLA satellite, the Red Tornado recovers from being frozen solid. He has a bit of a pity party for his defeat by the Society villains due to his rashness in jumping to action. At this point, the Star Sapphire, who is really Zatanna, beams onto the satellite. Red Tornado, trying to learn from his pre previous mistakes, hesitates before acting and gives Star Sapphire the chance to obliterate him. But instead, she reveals that she's really Zatanna. The faux JLA meet at an ultra-modern museum in Mexico City. According to Superman, they've been asked to guard the Nova Jewels. Zatanna seems particularly drawn to the Nova Jewels and acts as suspiciously as possible. Black Canary comments that it's suspicious that there are no museum guards present. Of course, this is because the Green Lantern has already dispatched the guards to another dimension. Group splits up to cover all the museum entrances, but Satana's behavior has the real leaguers a tad suspicious. As if this isn't enough, once they're alone, the Green Lantern decides to forcefully kiss Black Canary, prompting Canary to beat him into unconsciousness, and alerts the rest of the team that there are imposters in their midst. Zatanna attacks the Green Arrow, but Green Arrow paralyzes Zatanna's vocal cords using a paralysis, preventing her from speaking her spells, which, by the way, was a killing spell. Batman and Wonder Woman attack the Flash, but the Flash binds them in the Lasso of Truth. Superman, the wizard, who was flying above, dive bombs the museum while bemoaning the stupidity of his allies, only to be struck down by the wizard. We find out that the Red Tornado and Star Sapphire rec rescued the secret society of supervillains and prevented them from falling into the sun. 
Using an ancient mystic artifact, the Star Sapphire reverses the wizard's enchantment, re-exchanging the Justice League of America's souls with the Secret Society of Supervillain Souls. With the heroes and villains back in their proper bodies, the Green Arrow interrogates Superman to make sure the switch was successful. And Superman gives a response that amounts to gibberish, which convinces everybody. The end. Now this is kind of an iconic issue at this point, because this was... This laid the groundwork for uh, the secret identity, or the identity crisis, rather, story by Brad Meltzer that uh, raised so much uh, controversy, to say it that way, I guess. Hmm. I remember reading this pretty fondly when it first came out. And, uh, you know, I liked it at the time. Looking back on it, I mean, there are definitely some plot holes. Everything happens a little too fast. You know, we... we often talk about the decompressed versus the compressed storylines. I think in a story like this, it almost needs to have it almost needs to be a slow burn. In order for it to happen so quickly, you have to have to have the villains act so dumb and reveal themselves. Yeah. That it just doesn't really, you know, it doesn't seem right. Hey, I'm gonna the, hit on you. Yeah. I think about the scene in, in Goodfellas when they uh, they did the, the Lufthansa heist, and uh, Jimmy Conway, you know, gets says, okay, everybody lay low, don't, you know, don't do anything, you know, to call attention to yourself. So they're at, at a bar having, you know, a celebration. The guy shows up with a brand new Cadillac, and his, his wife is wearing a mink coat. Uh, yeah. So, you know, but that's, I, I mean, I know people are stupid, but this is like their master plan. So you would think they'd be a little bit more compliant with, Hey, let's act like the people we're supposed to be. So that, that's that's the one thing about it that kind of really just doesn't sit right with me in it. I do like that there were eventual ramifications. I like that Brad Melsa hit on that that you know that these you, you you can't have had this happen without these villains actually having looked at what the faces are underneath the masks and stuff. Yeah, and that you know his his way of fixing it was that Zatanna played with their memories and that that was a uh, you know. That was a bad thing to do, uh, and it's all, at least in, in the way it's presented. Bad, bad Justice League, bad. Yeah. So I, I like that. Uh, you know, I like the artwork in it. It's not great. Uh, you know, the, the cover. This this is definitely. To me, it's an iconic layout cover, but when I look at it closely, the execution is fair. It's not great. Mm. But this this image of them all lined up with that artifact between them and, you know, getting ready to switch their uh, minds back again. It's just, you know, I just think it's a real cool picture. The interior artwork, I think it goes to... Uh, were you on the episode where I talked about uh, how Marvel's house style was to, to emulate Jack Kirby and that DC's house style was to emulate Neil Adams? Yes, yes. And and I see that in this. And whenever I see Dick Dillon, I see that. I think I think... Dick Dillon was a, uh, you know, he definitely was not as talented as Jack, as Neil Adams by any stretch, but I definitely think he stylistically went for that look. And I, I, I assume that it was encouraged by uh, the DC people. So I, I definitely, you know, I think the artwork is, is pretty good. I like the story. Although, like the very end of it, the very, very last panel in the book looks to me like it should be in a uh, hostess ad. Why doesn't Superman just break out of the handcuffs? Were they kryptonite handcuffs? 
Well, that's I think that's the joke when he says, oh. "Can somebody get me the key?" Why do you put him in handcuffs in the first place? Hmm. Because anyway, he was. What, uh, you, yeah. What, did you read this when it first came out? No, yeah. no, no. No, I don't think I've never uh, read this until now for for the show. Oh, okay. What'd you think? Uh, I uh, the um, one of the panels that I thought was pr- pr- pretty cool. Like, and I think this is. Like you're t- t- talking about, like aping the Neil Adams look is like where they're all encased in the diamond, where it's been thrown off into space, and it's like it's all green. Yes, yes, and they're they're all like their faces are like ride like in pain. Which and you know makes what? me think of the Phantom Zone villains. Yeah, and this was released. No, this oh this was pre this was pre that. So that's well, kind of seventy nine. Yeah, so this is before the Superman movie. Superman was seventy eight. Oh wait, was it? I was for some reason I was thinking it was eighty, but I'm okay. No, no you're right. Superman two was eighty. Oh, do you think this this that that panel was in, in influenced by that? Maybe. Hmm. Could be. Definitely, it could be. But you could see, like, if you go to the very next page, the close up of Superman's face. It's like in that effort to emulate a Neil Adams look, all not, they did, but, but not making it. All they did was go for dark lines on the face instead of going for more detail. Yeah. And that's where I think it, you know, it fails a little bit. Yeah, and then like the next one down after that with uh, with with the Green Arrow, the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not bad at all. I think the artwork's decent. Looks like he's had, but his beard looks like a small cat gripping onto his chin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so. But, uh, you know, like I said, I think this story would have been better served to have kind of been over about a five-issue arc. And, and you know, it's not, I'm not saying decompress this to just make this issue five issues long. I'm saying add some more adventures in there with the False Justice League. Yeah, you know, have them Where they slowly a- start to kind of reveal themselves. So you wouldn't have Superman throw them to the sun. Because <laughs> that would kill them immediately. But somehow he imprisons them. Step one, imprison villains. Step two, throw them into the sun. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, like a five-issue five arc where they face off against, say, like three different supervillains over that time. And each time, you know, they slip a little bit. And that makes, I would have it make Ralph Dibney or Batman. Well, no, Batman's one of them. I would have it make Ralph Dibney s- suspicious. Yeah, like have Ralph Dibney figure something out that Batman should have known immediately. You know, be like, really? You didn't know that? Hmm, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Hard. Something like that, and I think it would have been a more effective build-up. But I think at this time, they, you know, they weren't really doing that as much, the long, drawn-out... Well, you know, sometimes they were, actually. I mean, the Dark Phoenix side is probably not too far off from this. And that was a long run out one all the time, and that was much better done. Do you, so I, I think it could have been. Do you think some? I don't, this might just sound. Well, no, I'm sure. Well, do you think some comic writers, as they've been, well, you know, as they've grown older, you know, like Jerry Conway and such, that you know, all right. So when they first started to write comics, they were of a younger age, and their audience was of a younger age. And the stories were, let's just say, I mean, this is not with all writers. I'm just saying, 
mm, not not as a whole, but maybe as a trend, that the stories were kind of simpler. And that because a lot of the comic readers stayed on with it and aged with them, that their stories became a little more complex. Like you're saying that this one is kind of simple, quick. I mean, yes, I'm not saying we didn't have complex stories back then, but it seems like you look at some of the stuff now might be a little more like things are more you know you, you know we kind of complain oh it's so drawn out that maybe this is uh, but i guess now we have newer writers as well but they've grown up on this do you see where i'm going or am i just yeah babbling? i do i do and i'm just letting you flounder in it but, okay uh, thanks but i, thanks, I do please. think you have a good point i uh, there's a point in there somewhere i just can't well, I, I think that, that, I don't think it's so much as the writers aged. I think is it's their audience as like, they realized like that we've the grown older. Aged. Like the like the bulk of the audience has grown older, mm-hmm. and that they've in order to keep them, they had to change their writing style to keep you know because I'm not going to read an Archie comic. Not that there's anything wrong with an Archie comic, but I'm not going to read the story of Archie and Jughead and and Reggie. You know, which is probably why you look at now on. On TV, I don't watch Riverdale. But my daughter says it's okay. Some of her friends do. I've heard good things about it. I've, I've thought about watching it. I just haven't yet. I can't. I got too many shows to watch. I can't get into. Yeah, well, that's the other problem. So, but that's you know, like you've got to evolve your storytelling to keep your core audience because they're going to change and want you know get older and want something a little more complex, or they're going to go away. That well, is my. There's also that thought process of. You know, back in the day, they thought the audience turned over every three years or so. Mm. Now they realize we have that same core group just aging. So we can't tell the same story again and again and again, although they do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you can't get away with that as easily because it's the same people reading them. And after a while, they're going to be like, I've been there, I've done that already. Right. Okay. So I think by its nature, it's also easy when, when you're... When you're dealing with heroes who've been around 50, 60, 70 years, so many stories have been told about them. It's hard to come up with original plot lines for them. So when you do, the last thing you want to do is give it up in a one and done. <laughs> you came up with an original plot line. Let's see if I can drag this on for a year or two. <laughs> you know? Yeah, or you get a case to where, like Marvel, I mean, <clears throat> Marvel tried to, okay, so you've got the same characters and you're telling the same stories over and over and over again. So Marvel went out on a limb and they said, Okay, well, you know, we're going to have the new Iron Man. We're going to do this with Thor. We're going to do this with this character. This with that character. We got a new Marvel uh, uh, girl, or not not Marvel girl, but ca- Captain Marvel. And then I guess that was not well as well received as they thought it was going to be. And they kind of blamed. I, I I don't want to say blamed. Uh, there was a thing that was put out like, oh, obviously our our readers don't want don't want diversity well okay i don't think that's the case maybe you just need to tell a better story and now it seems they've just gone back to they like did a reset or now they're all kind of back to they've brought back all their old characters you know what i'm saying i think i kind of think they don't our readers don't like diversity thing is is just as much of a cop-out as as what they've done with so many other things it's readers don't want forced diversity in my opinion they don't want you to say, we're going to force this character on you 
just because he's diverse. And what we're going to do is instead of being creative, we're going to take a character that already exists and we're going to just change him into a minority of some sort. But, you know, instead of doing that, maybe they ought to just try and organically come up with some heroes that are going to be interesting to people. But then that becomes an issue, I think, with all the rights issues with comics, because creators creators don't seem to want to come up with new characters for the big companies. Mm -hmm. You know, I I do think, and I I was initially critical of the forced nature of it, but I do think that Miles Morales works. I think he's been a good character. He's been a good good diversity add to the comic book world. But I'm not so sure about the... And I never read A Muslim Green Lantern, so I don't know if that was well-written or not, because I just wasn't reading Green Lantern when it came out. Oh, I... But I heard... Actually, I was reading that. I didn't really... Yeah. I had no problem with that. It didn't yeah, okay. really... It didn't really affect my reading. It was just like, okay... Uh, and I haven't really heard much about the young African-American female Iron Man. I've got a couple of those issues. Uh, she's like a young, um, she's like at MIT. Or, or, yeah. And she kind of creates her own suit of armor. I, that That's in some of the stuff. I had a hard time, like her first appearance. And that was, uh, that was freaking expensive to find. Well, actually, I didn't buy it with the, you know, with the first print. I'm like, no, I'm not paying you know, the guy's like, oh, yeah, I, I got that issue here. It's $30. I'm like, for what? Oh, it's the first appearance. Of, I was like, uh, no. Then I found it for like in, um, for a dollar with, 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 with a second printing. I'm like, I just want the issue because I've got that itch. You know, it's got a different cover. It's the same story inside. Uh, I, I don't need to have a first printing. Thanks. Thanks, mm-hmm. buddy. You know, I you know, can I, keep I your $30 really... book on the wall. <laughs> I read the first two story arcs of the young Muslim Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Camilla Khan. And that was, yes, that was after I had heard some good things about it, and I sat down and I read it. And uh, I found that to be very entertaining, actually. But I think that was more organically done. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, hey, let's take a hero. And even though she has the same name, mm-hmm. she wasn't really related to Ms. Marvel. In fact, she was an inhuman. Or is it? Oh, I, I didn't know that. She's an inhuman whose powers manifested itself. She was in a, you know, in a regular family and had no idea. Because there was some storyline where the Terrigen Mists were released to society or something. Oh, yeah, that was, um, was that the, that was the, f- well, didn't Pietro do that? No, 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 yeah, no, no, no. I don't know, but, uh, he but that's, tried that's that, what but, it was. But that was a fallout of, uh, uh, Inhumanity. Right, I think maybe, yeah, but it was a manifestation of that. That's where she came from. So it mm. was a little, to me, in my opinion, it was a little bit more organically done, and it was entertaining. She wasn't. I didn't feel like she was forced on us so much, and they didn't hit you over the head with it. It, it didn't feel like Lokai and Beale. <laughs> you know, it's, the fact that she was a Muslim and from a Muslim family wasn't the focus of the book. It was and- just. Something that that existed. And I really think people should learn from that when they try to do these stories. If you're going to have a minority character, if you're going to have a gay character, if you're going to have a character that has some sort of minority aspect to them, don't make that the focus of the book because that's going to turn some people off. Because I don't, you know, I mean, I know there's some people who that's their real life, but 
I don't think that's what people want to read about. I think people are going to be much more accepting if you show that these are regular people and don't preach to them, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, but, you know... Like in that book, I'm going to use that one as the example, they had her as a normal teenage kid who just happened to be from a Muslim family. Mm-hmm. Not where being Muslim was the sole aspect of her existence that we had to read about page after page after page. Yeah, and, and that's you, kind of the way I, I remember the character in Green Lantern as well. It was just like, of course, I could be misremembering it. I don't know. I, I don't like I said I hadn't read those. But if but if you you know if you read those, and then you walk away with it, if you, if you, if you're gonna learn a life life lesson from it, you read that and you say, see, she is a regular kid. They're regular people just like us. Why am I so prejudiced against them? I shouldn't be. You know that's 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 the lesson you'd like to come across to people if you are trying to teach a lesson, and you know not so much bonk bonk over the head. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, your reference to Lokai and Jewel? Beal. Beal. Eel or Beal? Beal. B-I-E-L. Oh, yeah. That's from uh, that's from Choose Your Battlefield, right? Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. Let This Be Your Last Battlefield. Star Trek, original series. And he's obviously uh, different from me. He's from Miri. Okay. Obviously different from me because he is black on the right side instead of the left. You know, that, I think that's a fun episode, but that's just me. <laughs> anyway, why don't we talk a little bit about Justice League 168? Uh, we, we have definitely gone far afield here. Why don't we rate this one? Uh, like I said, I really like the cover. I think it's an iconic image, but when I look at it closely, it's not as well rendered as I always pictured it in my mind. Mm. Um, I'd say I'd say it's a a B plus. And it could be an A plus if it was just a little bit better, but it's a B plus. It is definitely you know a very memorable image to me, and I think that's where it carries a lot of its weight. The interior art I think is good. It's good Dick Dillon art. It's not Neil Adams art. Uh, it's the storytelling is is pretty good. It's a it's a very fast paced story, and it tells it that way. So it's it's evenly paced throughout, but I think it's too fast. But that's the story, not the artwork. Um, I'd say the artwork inside is just a just a B, and the story. Again, my biggest problem with it is just the quick quickness with, with which they have to have the reveal and everything, uh, and and the fact that Ralph Dibney is not you know he's in there that sounds like a good idea to me. Um, so I'm going to say a B minus on the story, and overall I'll give the book a B. Uh, yeah. I, got, I got a like a plot thing here that so Green Lantern creates the diamond cell right to put throw the cell yeah but that's not what they tell the rest of them though that they, they don't tell them they're throwing it in, in the sun right they're just not tell them that he comes up with some stupid story about it what is what does Batman Superman say yeah. Uh, I admit I acted a little hastily, but I did discuss this with the others before you arrived. We all agreed on a course of action. If we manage to capture the secret society, believe me, we've done nothing wrong. Green Lantern's power ring put the villains in time stasis, and I just tossed the diamond into an orbit around the solar system. 
They'll remain there until science perfects criminal rehabilitation. I admit it sounds reasonable. So, in other words, you've decided on what their crime is. You're going to imprison them until, until you can. Uh, yeah, but okay. Work orange them. But Green Lanterns. This is where this is where the plot thing comes in, and the rest of the league should have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, Green Lantern's constructs only they don't stay around after he's like, oh, I don't know, knocked unconscious, right? Or asleep? Or right. the ring runs out of battery power? Yeah, I guess. It's maintained by his will. Although, he, there was, in the original issue with the... Uh, I didn't think they were called? permanent. Like with The original issue with Earth 3, he put them in some sort of power thing that he sent away and somehow it was permanent. So I don't really know. I never, you know, maybe back then they they were permanent, which is why this doesn't, doesn't come up. Because I would, would be like, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of risky? What happens if something happens and, you know, it fails? They're all going to be dead in space. Oh, well. You know. All right. Uh, for the cover, yeah, you've got the classic. It, well, I say classic, but it's not classic because usually you have the two teams rushing toward each other, getting ready for a fight. But here they're kind of chained up, standing rather melancholy around the casket of Agent Winters. I mean, around... <laughs> so, we have the Tesseract, we have the, the uh, casket. <laughs> the Tesseract that was opened by Tony Stark wannabe. Yeah, that's right. At least that's who he looked like. But that was that was like the standard 70s guy. You know, big head of hair. Big hey, head of hair. And a 70s guy. 70s guy. Head of hair, porn mustache. Tuning fork. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait. Right, so, so. Uh, cover, I'm going to give it, like you, I'm going to give it a B. Um, the interior art, eh, sometimes, you know, it's, it's good. It's, eh. It tries to really be Neil Adams, but eh, it doesn't quite make it. But I'm still going to give it like a, uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a B. And the story, now... Judging the story for what it is, and not like what it'll later be used for. Judging the story for what it is, I'm gonna give the story. Uh, although it kind of falls down a little bit that you know Ralph Divney's not really portrayed the way you think he would be. Um, uh, I'm gonna give it a C plus. So I guess overall we're still looking at like a B minus book for me. All right. So that's Justice League 168. Bill, you don't have a book today, right? No, I, I, I got a book. Get out. I got a book. Well, I almost mm -hmm. didn't have a book because I picked a book that we'd already done. Get I'll, out. So you oh, have two books. No, no, because you told me I couldn't do the other book because we'd already done the book. It's not okay for you to do a book that, we, that Scott did, but it's okay for you to do a book that I did. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, anyway, I have Justice League 194, and uh, I had mentioned earlier before we got into the show proper that one of the things I have with the Justice League is there's a certain era that I got into it back in the, ooh, this would have been the 80s, uh, I want to say like 83-ish, mm -hmm. and I know it was after the movie Xanadu was released. And Yes's album 90125 because 
I would I received a big block, like a big handful of Justice League comics from a friend of mine, and I got on a kick for like a few nights. Every night I would listen to those two albums and read these books. So when I see these books or I hear that music, it always triggers a memory of the two in my head. And the book I was going to pick that we'd already done was the issue, I think, 224 that involves Paragon. Uh, to, uh, if anybody's interested in the review on that, what was that, episode 160-something, one... I think? Yeah. So, but instead, I, so then I had to scramble, pick another book. <clears throat> I could do a Dr. Bill type uh, re- rendition, but I'm not going to. I'm going to use the pre-canned synopsis um, that I pull off of uh, the the DC Wikipedia, and then we'll kind of jump through the book. <clears throat> so I have Justice League of America 194, and the cover is by George Perez. And I'm not sure who did the inking. Does it? Uh, my information did not. Uh, Mike's Amazing World didn't have that. No. So inside the art was done by George Perez and John Beatty. Jerry Conway is the writer. Ben Oda is the letterer. Carl Gafford is the colorist, and Len Wein was the editor. And on the cover we have the Justice League, which this time around includes. Looking for my notes, looking for my stuff, but I can't find it. There we go. We've got Black Canary, Elongated Man, The Flash, Green Arrow, Green Lantern, Superman, and Zatanna. So we've got kind of, uh, not completely full, but kind of full. Full to partly cloudy. (laughs) That doesn't really work. But um, so we have them center of the page and they're all looking in different directions because they are surrounded by five tarot cards the hermit the high priestess the devil the magician and the fool and out of these tarot cards they they are uh the cards are coming to life apparently or it looks like and they're coming out of the cards towards them each a representation of the figure that is on the card and uh they're all kind of like oh no what's happening what's gonna go on so the synopsis goes like this. In the midst of their private lives, several Justice League heroes are confronted in their secret identities by characters from the tarot. Superman is aged instantly by the Hermit. The Flash becomes a victim of his grief for his deceased wife at the hands of the, of the magician. Elongated Man becomes a laughing lunatic, much like he is on... Oh, wait. No, no, no. We're not going to talk about it. On the Flash show... And also a skeeve, like he is on the Flash show. But you'll see that sooner or later, Paul. A laughing lunatic after he's affected by the fool. Green Lantern almost kills himself while flying a jet when he is overcome with love for the high priestess. Black Canary is filled with senseless anger following her and Green Arrow's encounter with the charioteer. And Zatanna is blinded in her battle with the devil. Battle with devil. Oh, once the ten is able to track the spell, giving life to the tarot creatures, the Justice League easily locates their creator, Professor Amos Fortune. He has delicious cookies too. Oh yeah, he's famous for it. Mm, yeah, he unleashes his final card, death, against them. But they're able to fight off the incarnation of the Grim Reaper, and gradually their normal personalities and abilities are restored. 
Fortune attempts to escape using his magical cards, but accidentally traps himself in the world of the tarot deck. Wah, wah. So, just to run things down a little bit, um, I found a connection. Well, now, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the story first. Okay, George Perez. Yay, George Perez. First George off, Perez is awesome. yeah, the art is awesome. The, the, the detail that he brings to everything, even like on the, like the second page with just the stuff in the carnival, all the detail and everything... You know, there's there's spilled popcorn laying down on the ground. Soda things turned over. There's this there's a fat roly poly clown that was looks more like uh, John Leguizamo uh, uh, from the Spawn movie. What is that? The Violator? Uh, I don't know. I, I was never really into Spawn. Oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> um. So yeah, and. and uh, Clark is with the, so anyway. Clark and Lois are at the at the Clark Carnival, and um, he gets uh, goes into a, a a a fortune teller thing, and he gets his costume blown off. Which I I like that too. He it gets blown off by the magician's like lantern to reveal him as Superman, and then he ages the shit out of him. <laughs> kind of looks like uh, you, Paul. I mean, well, maybe not. <laughs> Um, I'm a little more gray. Yeah, and this is this is. I just can't gush enough about the art in in, in here. Um, you know when uh, Barry and Barry and Sue and Ralph are at the park. Oh, and uh, I. One thing that um, I had forgot that Ralph Dibney had actually revealed his secret to the world that he was the elongated man you know because he's he's one, one of the few is there any other dc heroes that actually have their public secret identity yeah uh, or public identity rather yeah because it wouldn't that would be a an oxymoron um i'm trying to think offhand and i can't i'm sure there is i was gonna say cyborg but i don't know if he actually because isn't it kind of like common knowledge, but I see. I, I don't know. I for some oh, reason I, I want to think that Cyborg was another one, but I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm not sure. Maybe. Mm. Yeah. Now, story wise, there's a mm, maybe one or two things that kind of bugs me. Um, the fact that. Uh, the section where Green Lantern decides he's going to just open up the cockpit because he wants to go chase the High Priestess because she she appears on his radar screen and uh, he gets all all the hots for her and he's now he's he's flying a jet aircraft he's not flying a prop plane all right he's flying a jet aircraft he he jet he blows the cockpit off. And then he decides he's going to climb out of the cockpit and jump after the high priestess. I call baloney on that. Oh, you wouldn't do that? No, I don't think he could physically climb out of the cockpit like he does. The force of the wind in a jet aircraft would have kept him pinned, I would think, would have kept him pinned to the seat. 
I'm sure it would have. And depending on how high he is, he would have passed out. Unless he's using his ring somehow to uh, help uh, him. Oh, no, you you and your freaking, you know, no prizes, you freaking... Well, that's the only way I think you could do it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, because he is wearing his ring. I, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, you caught me on that. I don't think I caught you at all. I think I just gave them an excuse for what they did. Yeah, you just wrong. backed him out. Now, the connection to... Oh, I can't say that guy's name. Takiki Watiki? Takiki Watiki? Yeah, yeah, that's it. The director of Thor. Okay, uh, did you know that he played Tom Kalamaku in the Green Lantern movie? Oh no, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So, oh. and that's what Pie Face. Yeah, and that made made me think of Sean last night because he used to always, you know, when he would say the name Pie Face. Yeah. <laughs> on his show, ah, uh, yeah. So yeah, that that is the connection to Thor. Now, okay. the tarot deck, do you know what card uh, Amos Fortune trapped himself in? I'm not really familiar with that familiar with tarot decks. Let me see. Where is that? Uh, okay, the end of the book. Oh, God, not that card. Uh, and then they show it in the last thing. Right, but you can't see the name. Yeah, I know. That's the tower. It's called the tower. And usually what that card symbolizes is... I have it here. I used to remember. Uh, the tower is commonly interpreted as meaning danger, crisis, sudden change, destruction, higher learning, and liberation. In the Rider weight deck, the top of the tower is a crown, which symbolizes material materialistic thought being brought low. So you could kind of say, well, one, I mean, because he is shown as a figure falling out of the tower on the card because on the tower card depending on the deck you're you have um you have two figures falling from the tower so basically he pulled the card out jumped into the card and he became a person falling out of the tower but don't worry he gets out he he gets uh he he gets better although in 2009 he gets shot by because he was also created the uh the royal flush gang i don't know if you've oh. heard of that no, I didn't know that. Yeah. Is he related to Dominic Fortune? Uh, no, different uh, different series. Oh, okay. Different company. No, but he it, but in 2009 he gets shot by the estranged wife, I think, of one of the two of clubs, uh, or two two of spades, um, because uh, she felt he, yeah. So he does stick around after post crisis, and his origin is basically the same. I, I was doing some research last night because I was kind of. Kind of curious, and you know, bill. you know that I the reason uh, I, I have an interest in, the, in in or knew about the tarot cards is because I have a set of tarot cards I've had since high school. You didn't even tell my future when I was there. Well, no, because I I did that once. I read up on how to do it, and I did it. And for one guy, it freaked him out. I'm not saying yeah, just as well. Yeah, yeah. I stopped do, doing it after that because, like. The way we interpreted things, you know, oh, your future made it. And then, like, some bad stuff happened. And he's like, you know, yeah, man. You, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, no, I'd just be concerned about, like, opening the door to a demon taking over my soul or something. Well, even though I've never, um, and I guess supposedly, now this is all back in high school, tarot card lore. And some of my friends who were really into it, you know, they're like, well, 
you can't be given a set of tarot cards. It has to be gifted. So I, it was like like a friend of mine had it, and then you have to cleanse it. So I had to like put it next to a crystal before I could use it to get rid of any name. Yeah, I was all back into this way, way back in the day. So I kept this deck with me for years, used it once or twice, and then like the one guy got fr really freaked out about it. So I've, I still have it. The thing is, I can't bring myself to throw it away. <laughs> because it's like, well, why should I keep it? It's like, but I can't throw it away. It's, it's not that I don't believe in it, but, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, there's no atheists in foxholes. You know, you just don't know what's out there. It's like, if I throw it away, will something bad happen to me? I don't know. Maybe I'm Probably. just, you know. Just like, gift it to somebody. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, may, 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 maybe I could do that. Not me. I, I gift it to Ben. Yeah, yeah, Thank you anyway. That's all I need. You become emo Ben, wearing black, walking around with tarot cards. Oh, great. But anyway, back to the book. Uh, you, I like this book. I'll, I love the art. I mean, it's kind of interesting with the, uh, you know, the cards that come to life. Although I don't know why the devil blinds Zatanna, but you know, plot. It's science. Science. Tarot science. And um. Oh, y'all! There's there's an art goof. Did you catch the art goof on page sixteen? Where? Bottom S bottom panel with the uh, green arrow, the black canary. Oh, the green the green arrow's eye. Yeah, he's got a white eye, but no mask. <laughs> is that supposed to be? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, now okay, his hat. I is think what it's supposed to be is the, the shadow that they drew is probably supposed to be the mask. And then that opening should be the eye hole in the mask, right? Yeah, but but his mask, he wears a domino mask, so it wouldn't be that, like, that almost looks like he has a cowl on. Yeah. Like a, yeah, like a Zorro mask. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, whoa, that's, uh, at first I thought it was like a big white eyebrow, but I'm like, no, wait, that's his, that's his eye. What the heck's going on that's, here? Yeah, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. I'll take enough half a point for that. <laughs> and then the... The next panel, he's trying. He's going in for a big old smooch. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're a creep. <laughs> you should have learned from my book. Just <laughs> gonna beat the crap out of him, and they're gonna switch souls. Ooh. Um, so I mean, and Ralph Dibney, at least in, you know, he's a stand-up guy. And another thing, well, see, I hate. Hate, hate to spoil you for The Flash. Not only is he Jim Carrey light in The Flash show, he's also a... He's kind of skeevy. He's not... He doesn't... I don't know. I'll just shut up. You'll see what I'm talking about when you eventually get get there. Because that's not a reflection on this book. It's just a just an observation. But... Um, uh, I'm just looking at it. I love the detail on some of this artwork. Oh, yeah. The I'm looking at like Green Arrow's arm uh, bands and the, the detail on the back of them where, where it's got the cuts. Like look on on page seventeen, that first panel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because in a lot of books, that would just be a solid glove. Yeah, exactly. Like it went to the extra detail. Like, I mean, was that? I'd have to go back and look at uh, uh, other issues to see if that was a standard for his costume or did Perez add that in. There's, there's very little in the way of 
And it's just a George Perez thing. There's very little in the way of panels with like nothing in the background. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's usually always something, even if it's just a control panel from rocks. Or, or even sometimes he'll just put a pattern of something, but he, he very rarely just leaves a white background or, you know, a, a, just a color background. I mean, there are a couple, but usually that's intentional for a purpose. It's not, you know, just, it's not out of laziness. It's to create an effect. Like, I'm looking at uh, page 7, that middle panel with the three faces... It's meant to be a close-up of the faces, so there is no background. That's why he doesn't put any border on the left and right of it. Mm. Well, also, two pa panels up, if you notice, that's one panel that they just put the lines in between to show. Like, that's one continuous it's drawing. It's passage of time. Yeah, as they're speaking. Yeah. But it's one, it's one picture. I, I mean, it, it's... And I don't... I'm, that's, that's not a trick you see often. Like, usually, they would have just been in one panel, and everybody's basically speaking, you know. But, yeah, you're right. This shows the passage of time. You know, I mean, we're talking about the passage of about a second, but still, he's, he's showing it. He's, he's giving us... He's basically basically giving us movement in a uh, static panel, which is just very cool. Well, you know what? Speaking also of movement, go back to the end of... the bottom of page six. I mean, this is some of the detail that you might just not catch all right the bottom of page six they're running along the water there's a redhead behind them right see her mm -hmm. in the white top blue shorts yep go down to the next panel she's still behind them and now there's a there's another guy um in like a purple jacket right that's although you know that may not be the same guy because he's actually on a different side but then you go down to the next panel the redhead is still behind them like, they're showing it from different angles, but he's keeping the same characters in the background, even. He's maintaining a continuity, even in with the background that's hap that's moving and happening behind them. Which is just, the attention to detail is just crazy. It's great. It's, it's what they should all do, but don't. But you may not even no notice that. You know, only because, I mean, like, I didn't even notice that until now going back and discussing it because I was just reading right through it. But when you, you stop to look at the detail, there's just so much there. Right. And it's, I'm just noticing now, I'm not that familiar. I know I've seen his name on several things, but I'm not that familiar with John Beatty, the uh, anchor. I'm familiar, but I'm not familiar. Like, with him. yeah, well, exactly. Like, like you, like, like I, I remember his name. Did you look him up by by any chance? No, I didn't. I'm just Take looking look. off what I'm seeing here. And I'm noticing, like, he really did use darkness effectively to create a mood in here. There's a lot of panels where he, you know, he has a little bit of a heavy hand as far as the black ink, but it works. I think he, he creates a lot of moods here with the, uh, the darkness, and I think it fits the story. I'm raving about the artwork, because I think the artwork is beautiful. The story itself, I just kind of feel like it's an excuse to look at the artwork. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just it's, look it's it up. It's kind of a one and done, no big deal, who cares story, but but the artwork is just great. I just went to johnbeatyart.com. Ooh, there's a picture of Elvira on the first page. I guess he's been a penciler and an inker for both uh, DC and Marvel. Hmm. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's great. 
Yeah, this is going to be one of those shows. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure. He, yeah. All right, the cover. I. Uh, even though it's 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 got the thing you hate the most on a cover, right? Except for like the black or the solid border at the top. I, I think No, but it's it's not this this isn't a cover with just a picture and no background. There's this background, all those cards are the well, background that, on it. So I really that's don't know. But behind that one. it's just like a pale blue behind that's okay. it. Okay. But I don't have a problem there's so with that. much detail with in you... the foreground, it doesn't matter. Because you've got like we said before, you've got the 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 Justice League prominent with in the front. They're surrounded by all the cards. You know, it's it's it's. I, I I'm going to give the cover an A. And the it, interior art, I'm going to give it an. Um, wow! I just noticed another thing. Like you were t- t- talking about the darkness. Mm-hmm. There's one where Clark Kent enters the tent. And just before right. he's flashed with, with the light, there's a glint. There's like a glint of light on his glass. Like his face is complete darkness, and you can see his glasses. A little, a little reflection on the glasses. And there's a tiny little, tiny like pinprick like light flash, like right. a J.J. Abrams lens flare <laughs> on his glasses. But it's done. It's just so detailed. A plus. I got to give the art an A plus. And the story, the story is, yeah, the story's there. It's, you know, it's a one-and-done story. It's, you know, they, you know, it's the power of faith in ourselves defeats death, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, I'm The story, though, I'm just, I'm just going to give it a, I mean, a B. It's not really, it's not, it's not bad, it's not good. But it's a little bit above average, so I'm, I'm going to give it a B. So, overall, A for the book. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm pretty much in line with you. I think it's an A cover, and the only reason it's not an A+, plus is just because it's not an iconic image in my mind. That would make it an A+. plus. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very well rendered. Uh, I have no problem with the pale blue background, because it's a background of something in the foreground. I just don't like when they just have like a body with a blank background. In it. Yeah, like a face you know? or whatever. Yeah, uh, that's, that's I'm not a fan of that. Uh, the interior art is beautiful. I can't find any fault with it. I'm going, to, I'm going to also go with you on an A-plus on the interior art. The story is, as I said, kind of an excuse to look at the artwork, but it's competently done. It's interesting. It's fine. I'm going to say a B on the story, and overall I'll give the book an A. Um, the first page, too, when he's flipping it, because Fortune, you don't know it's him, though, is flipping out the tarot cards, and each one is a, the like Superman, Zatanna, Black Canary, they're... They are portrayed in the tarot car style. I mean, which it's George Perez drawing it, but he changes. Like, he just didn't redraw them in his normal style. He took the style of the tarot card art, and he drew the figures on them in that style. Like, he's, you know, doing a style within a style. You know what? It's kind of dumb, but what I would have preferred there is if each one had a title on it without the person's name. Like for Superman, if it said like Strongman or something like that, oh. or, or for uh, okay, like if they had uh, you know Green Lantern, it said uh, Ring Bearer, mm. it's something like that. I don't know, like just like more generic tarot card type names. I don't know if that's dumb or not, but that's kind of what I would have preferred. I got you, yeah. But overall, it's a very very good choice, Bill. Well, thank you. Yeah, oh, damn, you picked you picked. 
Justice League 194 when I wasn't there. <laughs> oh, and 168. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Why didn't you just wait for me? I'm on assignment. <laughs> Permanent assignment. No, he'll, Scott will return one day. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Oh, so what is this? Back to the bins? Where are we? We are back to the bins. We are back to the bins. Bum, 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 bum. No, that doesn't work, does it? Not really. Wait, we are binsers. Bum, 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 bum. Like we are farmers. I, I did figure that one out. <laughs>